Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia at 9.30 and 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. We hope you'll be able to join us, but in the meantime, enjoy this recording of last week's message. I hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, Leanne and I were able to host some friends, and it's always really just a good time to get together and be thankful and to celebrate and have a good time. We played a game called Outburst, um, which honestly, I don't know... How in the world I've never played this game before? It seems to be made for someone like me. You're literally just yelling out answers at random, which is is perfect for me. And to top it off, my team won, which is awesome. On top of that, my New Orleans Saints beat the Atlanta Falcons and clinched the NFC South, which is awesome. And even better than that is that my least favorite team of all time lost on Thanksgiving. So if you're a Cowboys fan, It's okay. You can be a Cowboys fan in Texas. Um, I've always enjoyed Thanksgiving. I think it's great to be able to have a time set aside that we just show gratitude for the people in our lives and for the things that we've been blessed with. I actually think it would do us well to bring that mentality of Thanksgiving every day. I think it would help us combat that kind of me mentality that so often our culture kind of feeds, us, it feeds into us. Um, Sometimes I think that, that it would be great if Thanksgiving was even closer to Christmas, because as you know, I'm sure, um, it's easy to get lost in the Christmas hustle and bustle of everything going around. It's really easy to miss the point. And if you know me, you know I love Christmas, like, like it's a sickness. I listen to Christmas music in July. It drives the staff crazy. Rachel won't let me do it anymore. I will watch Christmas movies year-round. I don't care. I like baking cookies. I like decorating the house. I like Christmas movies. I like Christmas music. I like getting gifts. I like giving gifts. I like everything about it. If I could afford it, I would Clark W. Griswold the you-know-what out of my house. I have a goal to be on the Tacky Light Tour. Not to go on the Tacky Light Tour, to be a stop on the Tacky Light Tour. Like, that is a legitimate goal that I have. Like, every year I'm trying to think of, like, okay, how much money can I set aside to add more lights so that one day... I will be a stop on the Tacky Light Tour. I love everything about Christmas, but I will also be the first to tell you I know how easy it is to sometimes miss the point of Christmas, to get caught up in everything. And sometimes it's not all good stuff, right? Sometimes it's, it's the loneliness of the holidays. Sometimes it's the sadness of the holidays. I'm the, I'm the person that, since I was a child, growing up in Southern California, I'd be like, man, I want a white Christmas so bad. And when I became a Christian, I started to pray almost every year for a white Christmas, which is ridiculous because I lived in Southern California. I lived in places like New Orleans. Like, that kind of stuff just doesn't happen. My first Christmas in New Orleans was actually the first Christmas I can remember that was probably the hardest that I ever went through. It was even more difficult than the year that my parents split up. And it was hard for me because it was the first time in my life that I wasn't going to be with any of my family. This is about 15, it's 15 years ago this year, uh, my first holiday season in New Orleans, and started working at a church, and I knew that I wasn't going to be able to go home, and it just bummed me out. I was only six months, um, you know, from having graduated college, and when you're in college, you build some of your closest friends, so I didn't know a ton of people. I didn't have my close friends. I knew I wasn't going home for Christmas, and I really started to get in a funk, and then I met a girl named Leanne. Ooh, you don't even know. And in the midst of my sadness and dismay of the holidays that year, Leanne and I, who is now my wife, we had our very first date. And let me tell you, 
I created my own rom-com, okay? First, I took her to a Japanese steakhouse because I knew that her family likes sushi and she likes sushi. I do not like sushi. The idea of eating something that looks like a tongue on rice does not sound appealing to me. But a Japanese steakhouse, you could get like chicken. You know, they'll cook that in front of you. So I'm like, okay, this is a good, this is a good blend. So I take her there. We have a great conversation. We laugh. I'm charming. And then I take her to the French Quarter for the Christmas tree lighting. And they have a high school big band playing Christmas carols. And everything lights up and it's magical. And then we go to City Park at this thing called Celebration of the Oaks. They have a big botanical garden, pretty similar to uh, Lewis Ginter here in town where they do Christmas lights. And we're just walking around we're talking and we're connecting and we sit down and we get up and we walk to another place and we get to this open garden with Christmas lights everywhere and there's no one else in there. And Frank Sinatra is singing in the background. Not the real one, he's dead. But, you know, the music. And so I say, let's dance. You guys, right? So we're dancing to Frank Sinatra and then the music stops and I begin to sing to her so we could dance even more. Y'all, I had game back in the day. I had game. I had confidence that I had no right having. Like, that is the reality of my life back then. And so one of the things that happened is that night, that night, I remember calling my mom and going, Mom, this is the one. She goes, you went on one date with this girl and you're saying you're going to marry her? I'm like, yes. And I think Leanne looks back at that night and she goes, that's the night that I tricked her. Because every date since then has really never lived up to that first date, you know? Excuse me. It's always been um, a little less than those dates. But eventually, Leanne went home for Christmas. So I was kind of left all alone again. And it's not that I didn't have some friends in New Orleans, and it's not that I didn't have people that cared for me. It just wasn't my family. It wasn't my close friends. It wasn't this girl who I've gotten to know who I'm just crazy about. And so I got into a funk. And I think a lot of times when we get into a funk, we, we kind of go one of three routes. The first route is we just sit in it, and we let like the sadness and dismay wash over us. The second way I think oftentimes is that we will just pretend it didn't exist, that, it, that it's not happening, that everything's okay, until suddenly you're having an emotional breakdown in a grocery store because they're out of pot pies. That didn't happen to me. <laughs> and then the third thing is, is that you, you finally get to a point where you work through it. So after exhausting those first two options, um, I did decide to try and work through it. And the way that I thought about trying to work through it is Instead of focusing on the loneliness and the sadness and all the different emotions that come, that sometimes come with Christmas, I really wanted to zero in what Christmas was all about. Not what culture and, and you know, consumerism tells us Christmas is about, but really what Christmas is about. So I volunteered at a few different places in New Orleans that, um, to help provide Christmas to people that normally wouldn't get it. I began to listen to more Christmas music and music, or Christmas music that was much more worshipful. Um, and I started to read and reread the Christmas story every day and just letting myself sit in it and rest in it. And in doing that, one of the things that happened is that I was able to hone in really well, I think, what Christmas is about. And so I want to remind us up front this morning what Christmas is about. And I know that a lot of us probably know the answer, and that's okay, I'm going to tell you anyway, because sometimes I think we can miss it in the hustle and bustle. Christmas is about Emmanuel, God with us. It's about Jesus who came as a baby and changed the world because of his life, his teaching, his sacrifice, and his resurrection and legacy. Christmas is about grace and gratitude and hope and expectation and joy and faith and the reality that because of Christ, 
We can have purpose, and all things can be made new. That December in New Orleans 15 years ago, those were the truths that I began to understand more and more. And it really started with the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Now, Zechariah and Elizabeth are two characters in the birth story of Jesus that a lot of times people don't pay much attention to. They just kind of gloss over. We know the story of Joseph and Mary and obviously the baby Jesus, the shepherds, the wise men, all of that. But Zechariah and Elizabeth, oftentimes, they just, we don't really pay attention to them. So I want to share a little bit of their story today. Zechariah was a priest from the tribe of Levi, which meant that Every now and again, he would have to leave his home and make his way to Jerusalem, and he would be there for a week or two at a time, specifically taking care of responsibilities in the temple, which was the most holy of places, the most sacred of places. It was a great honor to be able to have this responsibility. Zechariah and Elizabeth, uh, we read in Scripture, were known as godly and devout people. And their entire lives, they had prayed for children, and it never happened. And at this point in their story, they're pretty up there in age. They're pretty old. So one day, Zechariah is in the temple, taking care of all the responsibilities he needs to take care of, and the angel Gabriel comes to him, and a lot of us have heard about the angel Gabriel before, and Gabriel tells Zechariah that God has chosen he and Elizabeth to bear a son who would be the forerunner of the promised Messiah. They were to name him John. We might know him as John the Baptist, and he would be filled with the Holy Spirit, and he would prepare the way for Christ. Now, I don't know about you. If I'm at home, or if I'm at work, or if I'm here, and an angel of the Lord or a messenger from God shows up, I'm probably going to mess myself. I'm going to freak out. Like, I'm not going to know what to do. And then once I calm down, I'm going to go, okay, whatever you say, whatever you say. And in Scripture, what we see repeatedly is people will get scared, they'll fall on their faces, and the angel of the Lord or a messenger from God or Jesus himself will tell them something, and they'll go, no, I don't know. Like, I don't understand that. Zechariah is one of these people. Gabriel tells Zechariah this, and Zechariah, his immediate response is, "Mm, yeah, I'm old, and my wife, she's real old. Gentlemen, just don't ever say that about your wife, ever. It's never going to go well. So the angel Gabriel makes Zechariah mute. He's unable to talk. He finishes his priestly responsibilities at the temple. He goes home, and a short time later, Elizabeth becomes pregnant. Around the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel visits Mary, the mother of Jesus, who is also Elizabeth's cousin, to tell her she is going to carry God's son. And soon after, Mary goes to visit her cousin to share this news. And this is where we pick up in Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 45. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? And I just want to pause there for a second, because there's two things to note about this. The first thing that I just find interesting is that Elizabeth and her unborn baby John are the first ones to recognize the reality of the Lord Jesus Christ on this earth. And we don't hear about that. We don't think about that. We think about after Jesus is born and and his teachings and all his disciples and the story of his life, and we forget that before he was ever brought into this world, when he was still in Mary's womb, Elizabeth and another unborn cousin, John, recognized who the Lord was. The other thing that I want to point out is that in this, what we see is God showing up. 
We see God showing up and Elizabeth being able to revel in that and rest in the fact and recognize the fact that God has shown up. Verse 44, for behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. That December in New Orleans, I read and reread this section of scripture over and over and over again. And what the Bible tells us is that the word of God is living and active, which means that you could read the same verse over and over and over again, and odds are you're going to notice different things each time you read it. You could pick one or two verses or an entire chapter, read it every day for a month, and odds are you're going to find nuances, different things you didn't notice before. You're going to discover some of the original context. You're going to begin to ask questions as as to where you are in your life and how that applies to you. Your own emotional and mental and spiritual state the day that you read it might be different from one day to the next, and you'll begin to see different things. This is what was happening to me when I was reading through this. And I kept just landing on that last sentence. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. I would rest on that part because when you really dig into it, when you just let yourself rest in it, what you find is all the underpinnings of what Christmas is about in that one sentence. It's expectation. It's joy. It's faith. It's hope. And it's embracing the truth that God has already given us, that he shows up, that he is there, and we have a purpose. What I hope that we can embrace is that we're not created to simply exist. It doesn't matter your gender or your job or your race, your age, or any of the other things that we use to define who we are or how culture defines who we are. We are created for more. Like Elizabeth, like Mary, like John and Zechariah, we are created with a purpose, on purpose. And when you dig into the whole story of Christ, when you dig into the whole, the whole Bible, what we see is that we were created to glorify Jesus, to worship and to serve. We were created for an adventure that we may not even understand yet. We were created to take risks and to reflect the image of our creator. We were created to be in community and to live in community. And for this very moment in time, even when this moment in time may not make sense, even when, like Zechariah, our faith and our doubts may not align, we were created by the creator for his glory. And even though we live in a world that is torn apart, there is the promise and hope of all things new. And the reason is because of Jesus. And I know how Sunday school that sounds. Like, I get it. But you know what? You're in church, so deal with it. The answer is Jesus. Because it's true. Everything changes because Jesus shows up. Everything. And he does. He shows up. He came. He arrived. It wasn't wishful thinking. It wasn't fingers crossed. It wasn't hopes and wishes. It wasn't a figment of someone's imagination. Jesus showed up. You won't find a historian in the world who doesn't recognize that Jesus of Nazareth was born, lived, taught, was tried, and then sacrificed by the Roman Empire. You won't find one. It doesn't matter their political or religious persuasion. They could be Christian, Jewish, Muslim, they could be Buddhist or atheist or anything in between. The reality of Jesus living on this earth is a well-known fact. It is historical fact. Jesus showed up and it changed everything. It changed everything because he is the fulfillment of hope. He is the reason that we are able to experience purpose in a changed life. He is the reason that we can have joy 
even in times of loss and dismay. This past week, I lost my grandmother. She was 96 years old. She had a very full life. I know some of you in this church have lost loved ones in the last month or two or in the last year. And what I have found just in these last five days is that even with that loss, even with that dismay, I am still able to find joy. And that is because of Christ. God knew what our need was and he met it. Not because we deserve it, but because we were created for more. We read in the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, God say, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And the implications of that are profound. The implications of that are profound because it means that God sees all of us. He knows what excites us, the things that we're good at, the things that we're interested in, the things that we're passionate about, the things that make us laugh. And he also knows the things that make us cry, the things we struggle with, our sins and our frustrations and our, and our issues. He knows the darkest parts of our hearts that we try and hide from him. It's profound because it's understanding that God knew that we needed a Savior. It means that God's not surprised by our mistakes. He's not surprised by our struggles or failures. He's not surprised by our sin. He's not surprised by our stumbling or our selfishness or our foolishness. He's not surprised by our waywardness. The whole point of Emmanuel, God with us, is the recognition that we needed a righteousness that was far greater than our own. That we needed a love that we can't even possibly comprehend. That we were going to need a purity that we simply didn't possess. That we were going to need grace that could only come from our Creator. That we need and still need Jesus because He changes everything. The Apostle Paul in his letter to the Corinthian church reminds his readers in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the whole world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, not counting their sins against them, not counting their struggles against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. The birth of Jesus that we celebrate during the Christmas season was and is a rescue mission. He arrived to rescue, redeem, and to forgive fully, freely, and forever those who will put their faith and trust in him. He is able to take our broken and our hardened hearts and give us a peace that passes all understanding, a grace that changes lives, and to show us love beyond all reason. He seals us with the Holy Spirit to beat that new heart of flesh in our chest in such a way that it transforms our lives and pushes away the darkness and allows us to be the salt and light to the world around us. He's not counting our mistakes against us. He's not counting our sins against us. He's not counting our struggles against us. He has taken the barriers away between us and him. Oftentimes, I think the problem as humans is that we're really good at holding on to our failures. We're really good at holding on to our struggles and our sins and our pain. We're also really good at holding on to other people's failures and other people's struggles. And when we do that, it makes it nearly impossible to experience the new life that we are meant to live. So I want to give us two things to combat this. The first is this. Remember the past, but don't live in the past. 
And I get that that is easier said than done. I understand that some of us in this room have incredibly deep wounds. I understand that some of us in this room, some of us listening to the podcast, have caused really deep wounds. There are some who carry the weight of shame and guilt with them every day to the point that it affects their lives negatively. There are some of us who have experienced such great stories and great moments in their lives that when other things don't match that, we don't know what to do and our expectations aren't met and it becomes paralyzing. Odds are we're all probably a little bit of a mix of all of those things. And I'm not trying to make a complex situation overly simplified. I'm not. I just fully believe that if we leaned into the reality of who Jesus is, of why we were created, those disciplines of, of prayer and reading scripture and fasting and serving, if we would lean into the fact that we're made to be in community, that there are people that God uses to help us. I am a fan of counseling because I know that it helps people work through pain and trauma and hurt and deep wounds that they don't know how to work through. There's a reason that I am constantly in conversation of trying to find ways for our church and our community to be cared for and to find as many avenues as possible. There's a reason as a staff and elders and leaders at this church that we're constantly wanting to find ways to meet the needs of not just the people that come through the doors at the bird or over uh, with our children's church, but in our community, the people that we touch. Because that's what we're called to do. I know personally how messy the past can be. But I also know that as long as we allow the past to dictate our present, we're never going to be able to embrace our future. We can't avoid the past no matter how hard we try, but we also don't need to live in the past. We have the opportunity to learn from our mistakes and from the mistakes of others. We have the opportunity to seek help from people that can help us. We have the opportunity to find those great moments of our stories and make them into a lasting legacy. And we are offered a clean slate every day because of Christ. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we chase after Jesus, when we surrender our lives to him, when we develop the disciplines of reading scripture and prayer and fasting and serving, when we are open to others and when needed, seek professionals to help us work through the muck, we begin to break the holds of our mistakes. We begin to break the shackles of our past because we're continually reminded of all the possibilities of our future, of all the things that can be new. 2 Corinthians 5, starting at verse 20, says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Remember the past, but don't live in the past. And the second thing I hope you take away this morning is this. Live on purpose. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God was making his appeal through us, meaning we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to live on purpose. We have a responsibility to care. And look, our world is filled with so much entertainment and pleasure, with so many things that attract us and distract us from what is important. And it's really easy to forget that the pursuit of happiness is not what life is about. We can't be a people who simply look past the brokenness of our lives and the world around us and wish that someone else would fix it. 
We are a people who are created to enter into the brokenness and be the hands and feet of Jesus. I enjoy the way Matt Chandler, a pastor in Texas, puts it. Christians should never be bored, he says, never. With the playground we have before us, with its many needs, hurts, and opportunities, and with all of our levels of gifting, it doesn't matter if that skill set is artistry or business. It doesn't matter where it is. God has uniquely wired you and gifted you and then invited you into the greatest epic story the world will ever know. We are familiar with the story of Mary and Joseph and the shepherds. We might even be familiar with the story of Zechariah, Elizabeth, and John. And the incredible thing is, is that our story is a continuation of their story. God is able to use us just as he used them. The month leading up to Christmas is traditionally known as Advent. And Advent is a season observed in many Christian churches as a time of expectant waiting and preparation for both the celebration of the birth of Christ and his inevitable second coming. At A10, we celebrate Advent for a few different reasons. One is to, to be reminded of the hope and promise that we have in Christ. That reality that we were created with a purpose, on purpose, and that all things can be made new. But we also celebrate Advent to help us live on purpose. As much as I love Christmas, and Lord knows I do, I will be the first to admit that it's so easy to miss the point, to buy into that cultural lie that it's all about the lights and the tinsels and the songs and the food and the parties and the giving of gifts and the getting of gifts. And listen, y'all, my love language is gifts. I love it. I love to get gifts. I love to give gifts. It's my favorite. But that's not the point. At A10, we always want to challenge ourselves, really throughout the year, but especially in December, to push past the materialistic side of Christmas, that, that what am I going to get mentality, and lean into the generosity side of Christmas. How am I going to use my gifts, my time, my resources, and my money? Lean into that what can I give mentality. Every year at A10, we take up a special Advent offering. Last year, our Advent offering went to foster care and adoption ministries here in Richmond. We've been partnering with 12, 12 other churches throughout this past year, a couple different organizations, as well as the city of Richmond. And we've done some incredible things, and you all have done some incredible things. And we still have resources left over from last Advent that we're being able to roll into next year to continue uh, those ministries and continue to make a huge impact in that, in that sphere. Two years ago, we did Generosity Feeds, where we were able to provide a meal for really over a thousand people, and it was incredible. This year, our Advent offering is going to be going to the Brent family, who will be moving to Eurasia as missionaries. They are following the call that God has placed on their lives, and the staff and leadership and elders of the church are so excited to be able to send them. And I want to be clear about something, because I think in our culture, the term missionary uh, almost has a negative connotation. We think, oh, it's just people from America trying to go over someplace else and make them American and bring a Western thought philosophy, and that's not what they're doing. First and foremost, they're answering the call that God has placed on their lives. Secondly, they are going there to be a part of the community, to love that community, to be the hands and feet of Christ in a tangible way, to live on purpose. 
you'll have an opportunity to hear more from them throughout this month and th- on Sunday mornings and small groups. If you went to the Advent experience last week, hopefully you were able to, to talk with them, and you'll have an opportunity to give um, to this Advent offering at the end of today's service, at the end of all the services this month, through the app, um, on the website, all that kind of stuff. The thing that I want you to realize is that all of us have the opportunity to live on purpose. For you, it may not be moving to another country. For you, living on purpose might be just being present at home. It might be being present with your roommates or your kids or your spouse. Living on purpose for you might be finally giving in to that call on your heart that you know God has been calling you to do. Maybe that's fostering a child or adopting a child. Maybe that's serving in our community somewhere. Maybe that's serving at our church Living on purpose for you might be actually getting to know your neighbors. Who knows? They might be nice people. Building a relationship with them and finding ways to love them, it might be being patient and caring and encouraging to your coworkers and your employees or your boss. Every day we have the opportunity to show up for people. We have the opportunity to be the hands and feet of Christ, to be generous with our money, time, talents, and skills. We want our church to live on purpose, not just at Christmas, but every day. Remember the past, but don't live in the past and live on purpose. It's not a silver bullet to all of the ills of our world, but it's a step in the right direction. That first Christmas in New Orleans was challenging for me um, for so many different reasons, but it was also memorable. I mean, that is when I first started dating my wife, and that was awesome. We've had a crazy 15 years. We have a beautiful 12-year-old daughter who keeps us on our toes and sometimes makes me lose more hair than I want to. But that Christmas was also memorable because I saw God show up. Even when I was sad and frustrated and feeling lonely, God still had me. Even when I had a small breakdown in Rouse's supermarket because they were out of pot pies, God was still there. Because God shows up. But it was memorable for two other reasons. Also, on Christmas Eve that year, I went to a midnight mass. And if you've ever been to a Catholic church, you know there's a lot of kneeling and standing and repeating and responding, and then you kind of do that over and over and over again. Um, It can be a little unnerving for some people if they've never done it before. I found it so oddly comforting that night. I didn't know uh, the majority of people. I'd never met them in my life. But being in that room with all these people, um, kneeling in prayer and standing and singing, and listening to the Christmas story, and all of us pointed in the same direction, was really moving for me. And at the end of the priest's homily, he said something that I wrote in my journal that I have kept near and dear to my heart ever since, and I'm going to share with you in, in a moment. But when I left the Christmas Eve service that night, it was about 1.30 in the morning, um, and it started to sleet. And I remember driving going, I'll take it. I'm going to claim it. I'm going to say, yep, this is close enough. And I was so excited and I just, I giggled to myself. I giggled to myself a lot because I'm that guy. But I giggled to myself in the car and I'm like, thanks God, this is awesome. And little did I know when I went to sleep that a few hours later, 
it would actually start snowing in New Orleans. To this day, it was the first and only time that it has snowed in New Orleans on Christmas Day. Now, I don't know if it's because I prayed every day from September on. I can tell you that everyone at church who said, bless your heart, when I told them I was praying for snow, were calling me going, it's real. You're magic. (laughs) But for me, it was memorable because it was just one more way that I was reminded of how awesome God is, that it was snowing in a place that it makes absolutely zero sense for it to snow. God always defies our expectations. God always comes through, and Jesus always changes everything. I want to leave you with what the priest left us on that Christmas Mass. He said, This Christmas, remember the hope that comes from the birth of Christ. Rest in the promise and hope of all things new. You are more than your circumstances and experiences. You are a beautifully created child of God whose story is unfinished and whose potential for the kingdom of God is limitless. Let's pray. Holy God, during this Advent season, I pray more than anything that our hearts will be directed towards you. That we'll be able to enjoy the lights and the music and the movies and the parties and the food and all the things that surround us, but God, that we won't get lost in it. That we will be focused on what Christmas is actually about, that it's about Emmanuel, God with us, that you show up that you've always shown up and you always exceed expectations whether we're able to see it or not. God, I am so grateful that because of Jesus we can have a new life, that we have purpose, that the broken can be mended, that the hurt can be healed, that the things that have gone away can be made new again. God, as we move into a time of communion, I pray that our hearts would continually be focused on you, that we would remember the past but not live in the past, and more importantly, God, that we would live on purpose. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen.